This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London Is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. Uh, we got a Matt Loss special. Matt, back in the sauna. How's it going, man? <laughs> I'm going to be here, actually. I've, I've taken over the sauna now. So I think I'm going to be here for the foreseeable future. The uh, the Wi-Fi is strong down here. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to keep rocking the sauna for a bit. I like it. I like it. Uh, it's got good aesthetics for you. So if you're confused what we're talking about on the audio side, head over to YouTube uh, and check <laughs> it out as we posted them there as well. Uh, but Matt, season international break, just a tease, four matches in, then we pause for two weeks. Um, maybe a good thing for Chelsea, maybe not. But the big thing is that the windows, the transfer windows over, we know who Pochettino has for a squad. And, uh, I think we just want to run through the squad composition and kind of through some of the deals and we can kick it off with who's here at the end of the window. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I think I'd like to start by kind of saying, I think I'm sure we'll talk about some of the processes as we go along, but ignoring the process a little bit and ignoring some of the crazy fees and some of the sort of U-turns and everything else that went on. I think Chelsea have probably done pretty much everything they were they were aiming to do, actually, which is a gargantuan effort. I mean, to my reckoning, only Malang Sarr of the sort of unwanted players is still at the club. I think they got rid of everybody they either wanted to get rid of or who wanted to leave. And I think they pretty much filled every position. I can't claim with certainty that they got every top target but they they filled every position they were looking to fill which obviously also changed a little bit through the window due to injuries and stuff like that so i i think they they let's say let's say they put it they got there in the end and it and it it, it went just about to the wire in terms of sudden and departures but yeah they got there in the end that we know the squad the squad is still a little bit big but it's a much better size than it was it's got imbalances in it but it's more balanced than it was. So I think they're in a, they're certainly in a better place than they were at the start of the summer. hundred percent. I would say this has to be one of the busiest windows for any club. The, the outgoings to get to this final squad were, were immense. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but I know Pochettino said he wanted a 22, 23 man squad to your points a little bit higher. Uh, as you look through the official, um, you know, uh, roster on the website, I think you you will see Trevo still here. He was very much on the on the out. You said Malang Sar. He's still listed. Ian Matson on the last day was kind of still up in the air. Um, trying to see from the the midfielders. Connor survived from a fan's perspective. Uh, good to see him. And then I think everyone else is who you would expect. Sands David Washington, who just kind of snuck in almost by default. So. Um, uh, what's his name? Could go out on loan to Leon right at the end. I mean, Pochettino did say when he, he talked about the 23, 24 month squad that it could be supplemented with some, some kids. He said, ideally you'd have a 23, 24 month squad and then have some young players who are, who are sort of buzzing around it and, and happy to just be involved and, and trying to prove a point. So I think someone like David Washington would, would fall into that category. So even though it's a bit higher, it was probably composed quite close to what, what Pochettino was talking about in terms of numbers and age profiles. I mean, everybody's Chelsea, everybody's young at Chelsea these days anyway, aren't they? They all, they, nearly everyone falls into the under 21 category, let alone um, the real youngsters. So, I mean, I made it about just under 450 million spent, which is yet another world record. 
but I think around 290-ish million was also brought in or owed to. Not all of it will have come in immediately, but but that's the the figure of money that they can expect to come in through transfer fees and loan fees. So, you know, a, a kind of net spend of about 100, 160 million, probably a bit more than I was expecting at the start of the window. I thought it'd be more about outs and spending a lot of money, but uh, but yeah. I, I, and if you look around the league, a lot of teams have had problems getting rid of their unwanted players. Look at Manchester United with Harry Maguire. Um, Tottenham, I mean, they've, they've after the deadline, the English deadline set, they've actually got rid of Ndombele and Sanchez to Galatasaray, but they've still got players like Hugo Lloris who they wanted to get rid of and, and couldn't. Um, there are a lot of clubs in the league who've struggled to, to offload players. So Chelsea have done very well in that respect. Uh, there's no doubt uh, uh, about that. You know, I think what Chelsea and Liverpool really maximizing the, the Saudi Pro League interest over the summer. Um the, the amount of rebuild had to go. So you just, you look at the team, right? And you have some amazing numbers there. Uh, they talk about 450 spend, but the net spend being, you know, much more, you could say reasonable. But I always bring back the fact that don't forget January and the damage that Chelsea did in January. So when you kind of like couple them together, it was, I think I was surprised at how aggressively they spent this summer too. But I, I guess we're going back to no lack of commitment from the ownership group here for immediate success on the pitch. Look, I mean, I've criticized the ownership in, in recent weeks a little bit. They, they continue to get criticism. The one thing you cannot question or cannot criticize is their ambition. They are hugely, hugely ambitious. And they've proved that time and time again, ever since they've, they've stepped in. Um, they want to win. They want to create the best team in the world. It's clear. Um, and they, they've, they've almost tried to do that three different times with three different transfer windows in, in different ways. But as I say, there, there, there's lots of nitty gritty you can get into and lots of criticism. But at the end of the day, they're very, very ambitious and they keep proving that point. I mean, I know Chelsea fans don't particularly like this stat, but over one billion spent in three transfer windows, regardless of how much incoming money comes in. I mean, that is just mind boggling. Um and you know that they've they've gone for it and they've gone for it again. Yeah, no doubt. Um, super young team, clearly a profile. Uh, the the James Madison article came out right at the end of the window that said he he's too old. Twenty five and under was the line that was kind of drawn. Obviously, that has heavy project vibes. We'll have to see. I think what is it like? Chilwell, Sterling obviously Thiago Silva and maybe one or two other players that are kind of above that 25, 26 year old. Yeah. I mean, frame. the signings, the signings this summer, the average age was 20.5 and the average age of the squad now is 22.5. And when you, that takes in Thiago, I mean, Raheem's 28 now as well. It, it takes in a, a couple that, that go well over that. I mean, if it wasn't for them, crikey, it'd be such a young, young squad. I think I, I listened to something the other day where the, the average age of title winning teams is usually around 26 to 28. Yeah. So, you know, that they're, they're going to have to do something that not a lot of, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's expecting them obviously to win a title this year. Um, but, you know, in the next four years, they're going to have to probably do something that, that not many teams and squads have managed to do if they are going to win a title. Um, but it's a philosophy and it's a philosophy they believe in. You're right about Madison. Madison was was discussed, but he's 26, so he doesn't fall in that 25 and under under range. They were offered at one point uh, Jao Paulinia at Fulham, who also doesn't fit into that that age range for them. 
Um, so they've they've stuck very closely to it in in this window. I think maybe there might be wiggle room after this window because I think they've wanted to create a profile of squad, and it might be less of a set rule after this window. It might not be going forward. You know, if there was a big player in in January or next summer they could get who is 27, 28. I think now with the profile of the, the squad the way it is, that, that that would be more likely than would have been in the, the summer just gone where they set a steadfast rule. But it, it's a very, very interesting way to go. And I, I've got to say, you know, I'm sure we'll see the benefits of it and it's easy to guess the benefits of it. And I think we also saw where people are going to be patient for it, with it, going to have to be patient with it in that game against Nottingham Forest because there was clear immaturity in that performance. And I think we're going to see that from Chelsea this season now. I think we're going to see some probably some incredible performances, some very exciting things, and probably also some very frustrating, immature things as well. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, there's there's no way uh, around that when you have a young squad. We we definitely talked about the underlying statistics that showed you know the the chances are there, the dominance is there, the final you know pass or the final shot is what is is massively missing so um yeah i I think that's interesting uh the other thing i would just say on the on this team and things like that like you said uh completely new goalkeeping ranks right so you know completely new probably got close to where they wanted maybe a little bit short the imbalance a lot of defenders matt at that point i think you know ian Matson can shift and play a little bit a couple positions We'll see where Cucurella goes. Um, I'll ask you about that here in a second. But I would say a heavy on defenders. And we used to be like almost too many wide attackers. And we've yeah. just gotten to the point before Cole Palmer to say, ooh, maybe we actually don't have enough attackers all of a sudden this window. But what are the imbalances you see with this team? So, I mean, it's, this isn't an imbalance, but it's, it's interesting you bring up the goalkeepers because I'm still scratching my head a little bit on the goalkeepers. For me, and I know you'll be a signed-up member of this group, if you're going to win trophies and titles, you have to have a top, top goalkeeper. Robert Sanchez may well be that. He may well become that. I don't know yet. All I would question is that if you're prepared to spend $45 on Cole Palmer, who, by the way, I think is a very smart signing. I've got nothing against that signing. Why aren't you signing a goalkeeper um, of 45 to 50 to 60 million who, who's maybe more of a guarantee of a top top class goalkeeper rather than a 25 million pound goalkeeper and a backup who again maybe maybe excellent but it's a it's a gamble it's undoubtedly a gamble coming in from the LS I think that the strategy around the goalkeeping is a risk and it might be a risk that pays off it might be a risk that pays off it could do Edward Mendy obviously for one season came in at say 20 million or whatever it was and was the best goalkeeper in the world almost for a year. So it might pay off, but that would be one question mark for me. Why in all this money spent, did they not spend bigger on a goalkeeper when I think the proof is there that most teams that end up winning titles and winning cups do it having purchased a really, really top goalkeeper. Um, There's a clear imbalance at left back. Um, you know, there's, there's too many left backs, even though he doesn't seem to want to play any of them as left backs. <laughs> he wants to play Chilwell as a left winger and he wants to play Ian Matson as a number 10. But there are too many, what I would call left backs at the club. That's an ongoing situation. You know, I, re- I reported on deadline day that that, that bid from Burnley for Matson that was accepted. And it was accepted because of his contract situation. He's got 
basically a year left on his contract, nothing agreed. That's why they accepted it. Um, if a contract is not signed before January, they will certainly have to listen to bids again because they they can't they won't risk losing him on a free if there's good in. Now, Ian Matson may again choose to stay at Chelsea. He's I, I know he's been told by Pochettino that he's very impressed with him, that he likes and that he would like him as part of the squad. But there's an ongoing situation there with Ian Matson, and until a contract is signed, his future remains very, very much in doubt. I would say. Um, so there's a little imbalance there. Obviously, as well, they tried on the Cucurella loan, and I think that the fee they asked for Cucurella loan was was probably a bit high for what Man United wanted to pay. I think that's more of an issue than him playing in that that Carabao Cup game, because frankly, I don't think Man United really give a shit whether he's cup tied for the Carabao Cup. To be quite honest with you, um, and then yeah, I mean, I you can't get away from the fact as well that within all the forwards and the offensive players. I mean, there's literally still no one wearing the nine shirt now this season. We know that nobody's going to wear the number nine shirt, which I'm really old fashioned about that. It rankles with me. I can't, I can't not be a bit annoyed about that. I like a number nine. That's just a traditional thing I've grown up with. Big teams have number nines. Big strikers want to be number nine. It might be old fashioned codswallop from me. I completely accept that, but it rankles with me. Um, but there's still a goal. There's still have they got that goal scorer? And we don't know that yet. We don't know whether Nicholas Jackson will turn into that. I think the Nkunku injury was absolutely huge from that point of view. And I sympathise that it would be folly and stupid to go out and buy a player who then caused a problem when when Nkunku is is fit. Although actually, weirdly, looking at the squad, when everyone if everyone ever gets fit, and with Chelsea these days, you have to question whether we will ever see a day when the entire squad is fit. But if everyone ever, ever gets fit, Poch will have some really difficult decisions, both in terms of team selection and who sits on the bench, because he won't be able to name everybody on the bench. As you mentioned, Trevor Chalabar stayed. He really wanted the Bayern move in the end, um, and that didn't happen for him. I think that was more Bayern's fault than anyone else. They messed up their whole deadline day, which seems to have caused problems in, in Germany. There's a lot of reports of problems between Tuchel and Bayern, which will ring familiar to Chelsea fans from last last summer, this time last year. Um, but yeah, so Chalabar stayed. I don't think Nottingham Forest resubmitted a bid. He was never interested in going to Nottingham Forest. The whole Spurs thing never really got off the ground. They, they, he seemed to get mentioned in a conversation, but he, it never got off the ground. And I do worry that Trevor might not even make the bench. Um, it'll be interesting how the Trevor situation plays out. Although, in fairness to Trevor, if his career traje- trajectory so far is anything to go by, then we'll all write him off and he'll end up getting his way into the team because he's, he's done that before. But he looks in a little bit of a tough situation on the on the face of it with Badia Shile should be back after the international break. Um, quite how that shakes down with the squad and, and people getting on the bench and the team will be quite interesting to see. So there's definitely imbalances. And, and like I say, at some point with people coming back from, from injury, Pochettino will have some really big decisions to make now. Without a doubt. Um, but that's kind of how it settles. So we're going to take our first ad break when we get back, uh, breaking down some of the deals. So thank you to the sponsors. We'll be right back. There is no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. One of the things I love about Indeed is that they make hiring all in one place. It's easy because, well, candidates you invite are 
three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in the search. When you get one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with a quality candidate, it makes it go faster. And when you're looking to hire, the quicker you get the right person in the role, the better. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That offer is good for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. Well, you definitely started to tease into those waters, Matt, of so many deals uh, that were happening and potentially happening, right? Um, So for you, um, I think there's, I don't know, in hindsight, what are some of the deals maybe that stand out to you that did get done that, um, you know, maybe surprised you how easy they were, how hard they were, that they even got done, you know, because you did mention, you know, uh, Cole Palmer, that one kind of caught everyone late in the window. And I'm assuming my guess is, because we were talking to Naz as well a little bit, he's like, I, I expect this player to come out of left field where we weren't really thinking about them. And my guess is after the first couple matches, they kind of looked and said, we need a player in this area. Chakomeka's out and Kunku's out. We clearly have uh, a hole, albeit temporary, that they want to fill. Or do you think Cole Palmer was bubbling for a while and it just waited to the end well i remember coming on here before Nkunku's injury and mentioning the fact that they still wanted an offensive player i don't think Nkunku's injury forced that philosophy they always felt they were one still one offensive player short um with the way things were going i couldn't work out before Nkunku's injury whether it was likely to be an out-and-out striker or it was likely to be a more sort of number 10 wingery type like like Cole Palmer is. But as time went on, it became clear that Nkunku's injury probably solidified thoughts on on the fact that actually, because Nkunku's not an, a, a straight-out number nine, that, that they'd like someone who's more of an offensive player who can f- play in a number of positions, who's not going to necessarily be forced out as soon as Nkunku comes back, but can also play that role while he's not there. Um, and then Cole Palmer himself accelerated very quickly. I mean, look, they it was probably the one transfer of the window they managed to keep fully under wraps right up until, I mean, my, myself and my colleague, John Percy, reported it, I remember, in the morning. I think Fabrizio Romano reported it along, around the same time in terms of the interest. There was a report from another reporter, I think Jacob Steinberg, few hours later that, that he was saying that a bid had been rejected but then within an hour of that we were getting news that actually a, a deal had been agreed um so it accelerated very 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 quickly um and i suspect it had been going on in secret a little bit i know i know for a fact that in the days leading up to the news of cold palmer breaking that there was chat within stamford bridge and cobham about this mystery offensive player who they were talking about and it was a secret within the club. I don't think many new people knew about it. I think, obviously, Todd Bowley and Badadig Bali knew about it. The two sporting directors knew about it. Joe Shields knew about it. And I don't think many people outside that that little group knew about it. They kept it really, really tight because they they knew 
West Ham had showed an interest in Cole Palmer earlier in the window. I think there was a fear that Tottenham could have showed an interest in him because obviously Tottenham was sniffing around Connor as well. So I think there was a little fear that even though that Tottenham had got Madison, that they could show an interest in Cole Palmer, um, particularly if their move for Brennan Johnson hadn't have, have quite gone through, which it did in the end. So I think there was a little bit of paranoia around the Cole Palmer move and they managed to keep it secret and they accelerated it very, very quickly and did it very, very quickly as well. And, and fair play to them on that. Yeah, it, it did. It, it just it stormed in and then it got done and it was a tidy bit of business. So uh, that was that was pretty impressive, at least on on how it kind of shaped in, shaped out. Um, as I was looking at some of the other arrivals, I mean, I feel like we've talked about Caicedo. I mean, have you learned anything else after the fact, anything more just since it was such a big money move or is that pretty much been tapped out? All I'd probably like to say on Kai Sado is, is less about the deal because I've I really got nothing more I can add to the deal. But I think we've just seen that the trans, the summer transfer saga around Kai Sado and the fact that he wasn't training with Brighton, I think he's going to need a little bit of time. Okay, he's a £115 million player and everyone expects him to be world-class immediately. And I think from our little early glimpses of him, I think he's going to need a bit of time. He's had a weird summer. He's had a lot going on in the summer. He hasn't trained properly, basically, for the entirety of the summer. I think being away with Ecuador this week will help him. Um, more training and just being out of sort of the Chelsea bubble of being a £115 million player, I think that will help him. But I think probably we've seen already that Kaiseidi is going to just need a little bit of time. I, I don't think we've seen the guy who's likely to hit the ground running, to be honest with you. And that's no criticism, but I think it's sometimes quite easy to forget forget and overlook these things. Fair. On the outgoings, you talked about Trevo is really close to going to Bayern. They kind of mucked it up a little bit. Ian Matson, right until the very, very end, you said you were the you were the tweet that I was hoping holding on to, Matt. You said, I think he's going to reject it. And I was like, please. Uh, what was going on with Ian Matson? And, and yeah, obviously, I mean, he knows Burnley. I mean, he knows Burnley. And I think, from from what I understand, I think Nizar or someone else may have reported it that um, and it, it's true that, you know, Vincent Company got on the phone to him and tried to convince him. You know, the, the deal was agreed with Chelsea. It was a loan for a season um, with a with an obligation to buy in a deal worth $31.5 million. I I was told that Chelsea never confirmed this, that it'd be around 20 million up front with a further 10.5 in add-ons plus a sell-on clause. Um, and company got on the phone to him probably more than once and, and really tried to, to sell that move to him. They were prepared to leave it right till the end, prepared to sign him without medical. Um, but he was steadfast. I think he's had very good talks with Pochettino. I don't think Pochettino particularly, I think he understands the situation, but I don't think Pochettino was looking to, to get rid of him at all. Um, and he was steadfast and, and he, he stuck to it. I mean, I'm always nervous on, on deadline day when, you know, quite soon after reporting the bid, someone said to me, um, Ian, Ian's not going to go, he's going to stay and fight for his place at Chelsea. And you kind of want to report that, and but you've also got in the back of your head, you know, Burnley going to keep pushing right to the last minute. You've got to got to be careful here but it, it, he stuck to it and it, it stuck to that so um yeah it, it got very quickly agreed with Chelsea but never really got off the ground between the player and the club what I couldn't work out about that deal was what would happen 
were he to go on loan to Burnley with the obligation, but Burnley were relegated. Exactly what I was going to say. I I still don't know. I've had no explanation of that. I assume there would have been some sort of get out whereby he at that point, well, he couldn't return to Chelsea because then he would be out of contract. I bet there was a relegation clause in the contract from Burnley's side, right? But also Ian himself would be out of contract in 2024 if he hadn't. I just don't know. I yeah. There's so many questions around what would have actually happened to that loan had Burnley got relegated. And obviously Burnley have lost their first three. They've played three rather than four matches. Um, so, you know, that's probably something Ian was thinking about. But he could well get more offers in January. That's, as I've said, that's one to watch. Conor Gallagher was a really interesting one. Tottenham flirted and flirted and flirted with that. I think there was some sort of verbal bid made, not an official bid, but some sort of verbal offer of around 35 to, to 40 million. Chelsea had always been steadfast that they'd rejected um, a 40 million bid anyway from West Ham in, in July. So there was absolutely no way he was not going for more than that figure. Um, and I think obviously they, they would have demanded around closer to 50. But but, Chelsea, but as I say, Tottenham flirted and flirted. But interestingly, Tottenham ended up going a lot higher on Brennan Johnson than they'd planned to. Um, they quickly got that that Brennan Johnson deal done. There was the, the night before transfer deadline day, Brentford suddenly came back in because one of their transfers for Jonathan Bakayoko fell through. Brentford started upping the bidding on Brennan Johnson, and Tottenham just actually eventually said, "Okay, I think they'd wanted to pay forty million, and they paid forty-seven point five in the end." Big deal for them. Um, no no add-ons. It's all, I mean, it won't all be upfront, but it's all money that's absolutely guaranteed. Um, and I think that coupled with the fact they couldn't get players out made it impossible for them to do Connor despite flirting. They couldn't get Pierre-Emile Hoiberg out. They, they've only sold Ndombele and Sanchez after the window's shut. Um, there are other players there they, they didn't sell who could have gone. Celso maybe being one of them. So they ended up just, I just think financially, they just ended up not being able to, to actually do that deal. But they flirted with him for so long. And it was kind of one that was just bubbling and bubbling and bubbling and wouldn't quite go away. Um, but I think Chelsea, most Chelsea fans are pretty pleased it will go away. But again, when everybody's fit and now everyone's in, quite how it shakes down for Connor is going to be really interesting because he's, he's done, I didn't think he was great against Forrest, but before the Forrest game, I thought he'd been doing really well for Pochettino. The whole midfield at Forest was was not great. To your point, Casado still needs time to get up to fitness, and you know the balance and the push pull. Enzo was potentially the furthest up the pitch, which again is at his best. So yeah, the, the midfield has a lot. I, I think that's what I had said in some pods too, Matt. Is this isn't the Chelsea team we're going to see post international break? This isn't our best team whether it's because of fitness, or lack of, and injuries. So there, there's a lot of room to run with this team yet. And I think that's maybe the frustrating part is fans and supporters is like, spent all the money, we want to see it, and it just, we're not there yet because, you know, our best players and things like that either aren't fit or aren't healthy, and that's going to affect it. So, you know, yeah. Connor's, Connor's filled every hole that we've had. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's a really interesting spell coming up because they've got a spell after the international break where on paper they could they could bring some momentum to their season. Um, and I'm sure in a different show we'll talk more about this. But then after the following international break in October, wow, that is a tough set of fixtures after that. So I just feel that 
between the international breaks, they do need to, even if they're not playing brilliantly, they just need to build some momentum behind their season because then it gets really tough up until just before Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. No, we've highlighted that. So we need to maximize points here for us as a bit of a run. Uh, obviously, Lewis Hall went to Newcastle. Um, a little bit weird, signed the six-year contract, then left. But it all seemed to play out, I guess, favorably for him. FFP bonus for Chelsea. I'm gutted, right? Because I, I love Lewis Hall and kind of just his no-nonsense approach to, to the game. But um, anything else in terms of how that played out? Yeah, I feel like I spent most of the last show slagging off Chelsea over Lewis Hall. So I'm going to go easy now. Um no, I mean, look, I've, I, I think everything that can be said on, on Lewis Hall has been said. We haven't mentioned Lukaku yet. Correct. Lukaku, wow. What, what, what a saga that was. I think, I think actually in the stories of the whole transfer window of the summer, the Lukaku story gets a little bit overlooked. For me, it's one of the stories of the summer. It's an astonishing story. You know, in the same summer that, that Harry Kane joined Bayern Munich, two years ago, him and, him and Harry Kane and Erling Haaland were all sort of jostling for positions as the best number nines in the world. And and then we get to a stage where Lukaku, with a week to go of the transfer window, is is really scratching around and ends up going to, to Roma on loan, getting a hero's welcome when he arrives there as well. It'd be fascinating how he does. I think the, the owners did some smart work there with some of the, the clauses that they've, they've put in. I think there'll be regret now that they didn't accept the bids from Inter Milan, the 23 and 26 months because they'd have been permanent deals. He wouldn't be their problem anymore. The money would be there. Um, I think they've got a sort of a, a, a okay loan fee, but they, they've got some good deals in there. And if he does have to come back, his, his wages take a huge hit if he has to come back. So they don't have that millstone around their necks anymore of Lukaku coming back on massive wages, which is which is well done. But yeah, that, that was the Lukaku saga was an in, incredible saga. It really was. All right. Well, I'm going to take the last ad break. I'm going to circle back to that so we can get back all about Lukaku, Cucurella, and so much more. Thank you to the sponsors. We'll be right back. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're bored of U.S. streaming services, why not take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and at the click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You know, like the name of the podcast to get a huge discount off of your NordVPN plan plus one additional months for free. It's completely risk free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. Threat protection, they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll send you a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened, just like Chelsea's 2022-2023 season. Check out my link at nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. 
nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. Right. So I, I pitched this Lukaku thing too is I almost respect the man for taking the harder of the <laughs> options. Italy is not his friend. He has the Inter Ultras against him now. He's got the Juventus supporters, maybe Ultras against him now, as they demonstrated against him. He's had, and now he's going to AS Roma. He could have gone to Saudi League. The deal was on the table, it sounds like, but he opted to go back to Italy, which, like I said, is not the easier nor lucrative, more lucrative option. So in a sense, I'm like, fair play to you for taking the more competitive route and reducing wages with Chelsea in that contract. I am surprised, though. This is, what, his third time with Jose Mourinho? Yeah. I mean, look, it, it was a means to an end in the in the NBA because he didn't want to go to Saudi. He still feels he should be playing for, well, he, he was saying he should play for a top European club, and Roma probably aren't a European club. They're a good European club. Um but yeah, he was adamant he wanted a, another crack at, at Europe, probably Italy. He likes Italy for some reason. I think he thinks that it suits his game over there. And yeah, he—he, he, I mean, he—he he has a history of making life difficult for himself. He really does, and he has to look in the mirror now because this is last chance saloon for him. You know, if he really does want to play in Europe for another couple of years and and play Champions League football again, and play in Europe and still remain relevant, really, I think is, is probably the best way of putting it. It's his last chance. He has to make this work because otherwise next summer, all he'll have is Saudi. You know, if Roma doesn't work out for him, all he'll have is Saudi and he'll have to go to Saudi and him as a relevant footballer will be, will be finished at the age of 31, 32. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, if we just look at it, I mean, it started when Chelsea, Obviously, tried to basically sell him to Saudi and set up the deal there. He was adamant, adamant, adamant about Inter. Chelsea were adamant they wouldn't loan him, so they reject bids from Inter. Whilst hoping the market develops, Lukaku himself tries to kill that market by going on and on about Inter. And then for some reason, still no one's explained why this happened, becomes frustrated, flirts with Juventus, and completely about turns, kills any hope of the inter, inter move, and then again with Juventus, spends about two weeks telling everyone it's Juventus or nothing, and then again gets frustrated with Juventus and decides that's over, even though it was kind of over anyway because they couldn't structure a deal to sign him, um, even on loan, and it left him and Chelsea with only, only Roma, and everyone's backs were against the wall at that point, which is why... Chelsea compromised because they loaned him instead of selling him. Lukaku compromised because the wages suddenly came down and he's made assurances about his wages in the future and everything. So everyone ended up compromising because Lukaku put everybody's backs against the wall. So just an incredible situation. Chelsea will be so relieved to have got rid of him, albeit there's a sense they're kicking the can down the road. But I think we all know what happens next summer if he comes back. He goes to Saudi. Right. And with, with Jose, it's such a, a knife edge. It's either the greatest time of your life or <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I mean, look, just going back on the road. Yeah, I mean, what I would say in, in Lukaku's favor with Roma is you're right. Had he have gone to Juventus, it would have been a very difficult situation. The ultras there made it clear they didn't want him. They felt he was an Inter guy. They didn't like him. Obviously, Inter decided they hate him. At Roma, this is considered a massive signing. Like just a huge signing that the fans 
couldn't dream of. You know, Roma have come out and said at the start of the window they couldn't possibly have done this deal because financially, because it was a permanent deal, they couldn't even get involved. They weren't even in the conversation. So this has come as sort of manner from heaven for the for Roma fans. They are loving it. Five over five thousand people turned up at the airport. There's already a mural of Lukaku painted somewhere in Rome. There's people, you know, holding up signs about him. He is going to be worshipped to start with. Now, I, I would say to start with, because this this happens with him a lot in his career, and he, he, he has a habit of torching it. But he goes to Roma with the goodwill of the fans on his side. So from that perspective, he's picked a good club to at least give him a good opportunity and start. And then it's up to him. And like I say, it's about time he looked in the mirror and sorted himself out. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Obviously, the owners got involved uh, very quickly, heavily. It got turned around. It's probably some of the best business with the wage reduction on the remaining years of his contract. I, I think that they could have done, like, missed the interbid early on, but they, the the ownership group did did massive stuff. Um the last one I think that you had is or that we talked about too was, was Kukurea. I had said the same thing because everyone once Kukurea got named in that uh, League Cup squad, we're like, no, now he's cup tied. United are going to pull. And I was like, honestly, United aren't bolstering their squad for a League Cup run. Like, let's just be honest. <laughs> he's coming to play yeah. in the Premier League week in, week out. Um, but you just said it essentially came down to the fee too high. It, it seemed yeah. like it, I don't know, like, was it more complicated than us fans felt? Chelsea wanted a, a relatively big loan fee for him. You know, Chelsea, wa- I don't know exactly what they wanted for him, but it was towards double figures of a loan fee um, because obviously he cost them an awful lot of money only a year ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so United wanted to do two loans pretty much at the end of the window. They wanted Amrabat. They needed another loan that could allow them to do that. And it was... It was just down to the fact the fee on Cucurella was, was too high. The numbers were too high on them. Reguilon was a much cheaper loan for them. That was the reason. It was nothing to do with the Carabao Cup. And the suggestion that United would kill a deal because a guy can't play in the Carabao Cup is just frankly ridiculous. I suspect if Cucurella had joined United, he would have never played in the Carabao Cup for them anyway because they'd probably be playing it or someone out of position in the Carabao Cup. So that that's where that fell down. Look, I, I always say this, and I, I bang on about it. I do feel sorry for Cucurella. He's now at a club where he knows he's not wanted. They were trying to get rid of him. They were trying to even set up a loan for him. It's not gone well for him before that. The fans don't like him. The fans have booed him in the past. He's in a really bad situation. I I know he's not done himself any favours with his performances, but he's acted, you know, he's acted professionally. He, Everyone can see, tries hard. He's, there's not been any silly behavior. There's not been any hitting out of the club. There's not been any petulant behavior, unless you're going to remind me of something. I just feel like the guy deserves a bit of a break. And I, I kind of hope that, because I think he's in a really bad situation. I feel sorry for him. Yeah, I think I think most level-headed fans and supporters, right, acknowledge that. It's just the, the wrong partnership at the wrong time, right? Especially with Ian Matson coming through and, Look, that's not solved, right? Ian could be gone sooner than later as well. He's kind of holding the cards and, and leverage. And But I would just say f- there's also he gets lumped in with the Brighton bad taste in the mouth with Potter and and, and some things like that. So it, it is a bit tough for him. But no, I would say he the 
this is so silly to say, the best thing that's happened to him is that content over the summer where people got to see him and his personality. And actually, everyone's like, he seems like an awesome guy. Like, he's super funny. He seems genuine. Um, and I would say, like, the the kind of hotel promos that they did with that 360 cam and stuff, like, was probably the best PR prop for him. <laughs> Every, everybody you talk to... Um, I haven't got that close to him. He hasn't done a lot of sort of outside media, but everybody you talk to in the club says he's a lovely guy. You don't find anyone having a bad word or cross words about him. So, um, yeah, he's he's in a really difficult situation. I do think Cucurella as well acts as a, a great reminder both to owners, sporting directors and fans that there's never any guarantees with transfers. And for all the excitement around some of the signings and some of the spending, you have to remember that they're not all going to work out. And he is a great example of it because there was no real reason why he would come in and not work out to the way he has, having had such a good season before at Brighton. And looked like Pep wanted him at Man City. Everything looked right for him. I mean, I think a lot of people question whether Chelsea needed him, but that's a completely different debate. But he's a great warning that there's just not guarantees. And when you spend a lot of money in the transfer window there are going to be some who don't work out and it could be for millions of different reasons. And he's, mm -hmm. he's him and probably Mudrich are the, are the best examples of that at the moment. I would definitely say with Mudrich and Cucurella, I think Chelsea got uh, a little emotional when they saw Arsenal and City going after those targets and like, oh, we have to win this one. And they it's probably felt like that. Yeah, so there's probably a little bit of that. Uh, this summer, yeah. it, they showed that they're willing to let players go and they're not going to get stretched. So may, you know, maybe it's growth and maturity there. But speaking of the owners, this is something you brought up a couple times is you're like, these guys are involved again. So I yes. kind of one of my last questions is um, decision-making, player identification, deal structure. We've got the directors. We've got two owners. We've got two of everything at Chelsea. Um, any concerns or positive signs that this new look ownership slash director group is working or not working? Obviously, Vivel left. I would say I can make a case for 10 positive things and I can make a case for 10 negative things. And I don't know which way this is going to end yet. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to predict because it would be very easy and a lot of people outside Chelsea are very negative about what, what Chelsea are doing, what Chelsea have done. And it would be very easy to fully jump on board with some of that negativity. But we don't know yet. It could work out. It could, this this whole thing could work really well. And some people could be left with horrible eggs on their faces. Similarly, there are some real concerns to it that I think are recurring concerns that I can't quite get my head around just yet. And we'll have to see how they manifest themselves. I mean, one very basic thing that I keep thinking of is how many examples are there in football of two of things working well? Co-managers, co-owners, co-sporting directors. In football, co-stuff traditionally doesn't work that well. It tends to end up having to be one person because the co-stuff just can't cohabitate co i'm going to try and say it they can't work together coexist coexist thank <laughs> you so and i'm supposed to be the person with words um but that's not to say it can't this time and it's not to say it isn't 
there are some healthy signs in there. You know, the the age profile and the philosophy, whether you agree with going so young or don't agree with her, there is at least a clear philosophy. They've had a strategy. They've had a philosophy. Whether you agree with it or disagree, it doesn't really matter. The fullness of time will tell us whether that was a good strategy or a bad strategy. There is a strategy. I think in other windows and at other points with these owners and this setup, it's been hard to see a strategy. So straight away, strategy, positive. Um, the sales, positive. They've just worked hard to do the sales. Very, very positive. And I also think even with the players they've signed, you can see links. So even though I think Paul Winstanley did a lot of the deal, there's a clear link between Joe Shields and Cole Palmer. He knows the kid. There's a clear link between Joe Shields and Lavia. He knows the kid. Paul Winstanley knows Caicedo. Uh, Fafana got injured. They were desperate to get in some sort of physical centre-back. Lawrence Stewart knows Monaco. Dezassi comes in. They are doing this with knowledge because they know about these players and about them as people as well. So they are doing it with knowledge. Now, you can turn everything into a negative and you can say, oh, well, it's just so easy. They're just signing people they already know and that. But look at my club, Villa. All we sign is people who Unai Emery knows or who's played for Monchi in the past. That's literally the only people we sign at the moment. And to be honest, it's not working out too badly. So to criticise them for that, I think, is harsh. Again, I would put that down as a positive at the moment. They're, they're going with what they know, whereas someone like Mudrick um, was just a complete, you know, he looked a million dollars. But did anyone really know what he was like? I, I'm still not sure the correct due diligence was done there, given how that's turned out at the moment. So they'll know these lads as characters as well. They'll know what they're getting. I think that's a really, really positive thing about this window. And like I say, I could... If you gave me an hour, I could sit down and write down 10 positives and 10 negatives, and only in a year or two years will we know which side it's fallen down. The only thing I would say is it's really interesting listening to Pochettino now because Pochettino is really talking about the fact that this is going to take time. He even said, I hope I'm around to see the benefit of this. You know, they've got to they've got to be patient with the coach. This is not the coach... I. I I talked about it in a piece the other day that I did. The coach has not set this philosophy. The coach is working to this philosophy and he's agreed to it. And now they've got to be patient with him because this philosophy is going to require patience and it's not going to be the coach's fault if it doesn't work, even if the coach ends up making some mistakes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that um, after last season, three managers, right? That's going to be something they're going to be desperate to avoid as well as us as Chelsea supporters and fans. Are you going to toast the anniversary? Friday is the anniversary that Graham Potter became the world's most expensive football manager. Tom, this Friday. This Friday. I'll. Uh, I'll. Uh, put He's a still the world's most calendar. expensive football manager. He's still the world's most expensive football manager, and it was a, a year on Friday he was appointed. This or Moyes are the two big ones on huge contracts that like didn't work out in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I look. I don't think in the fullness of time, given where how things have gone at Chelsea, I think a new light will be shed on Potter's time at Chelsea and he will not look quite as bad as potentially he looked at the time. Um, I don't really want to go into this now. I, but I do think it's an interesting <laughs> subject around the anniversary. But, I, <laughs> I, you know, let's face it, Frank Lampard certainly did know better and 
Pochettino hasn't started any better. I do think Pochettino will do better in its different scenario now. Mm-hmm. But in the fullness of time, I think we'll realise that probably a lot of the issues that, that were around in terms of the results and everything else weren't just a coaching issue around Potter. But that's probably all we should say on it, other than raising a glass to his the anniversary of his appointment on, on Friday. Yeah, they're, they're, that's messy. Uh, what about um, shirt sponsor? Any of these kind of final pieces or stadium? Chris Jurasek, Jurassic, he's involved. It sounds like Infinite Athlete, they punted and are looking at more airlines and things now. No, Infinite Athlete are still the deal on the table for this for this sort of year of sponsorship. Um, that's still with the Premier League. It hasn't moved really i mean i i last wrote on it a couple of weeks ago and i wrote that the premier league is still looking at it there's a bit more optimism around it getting green lighted i'm still told it's within the time frame the premier league set on it so it's not sort of taking longer or nothing's run over i think conversations with other companies are about sponsorships down the line different sponsorships um i think it's clear that maybe given that Chelsea were doing a bridging sponsorship with stake at one stage, the infinite athlete could end up being a bridging sponsorship. I think they would continue to work with infinite athlete, but might not always be the front of shirt sponsor. Um, so that might talk to the fact that why they're talking to other companies about shirt sponsorship past them. But in terms of if there's a shirt sponsor on the sponsor this season, it's, uh, it's still infinite athlete. That's the deal on the table. Well, um, that's kind of the last big one. Stadium, you know, there was a little bit of movement. It's gone a little bit quiet again. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I haven't heard a lot since the Stoll thing. The Stoll thing was a big deal. Um, I haven't heard a lot lot since then. I mean, hard to keep on top of much other transfers. And, and now the transfer window is shut. It'll be a good time to, to chase. Hopefully in the next few weeks, I'll have a bit more news for you on more club matters rather than just transfer matters. A um, couple of new, I'm just trying to think of any business, a couple of new hires that are around. James Murray has come in from AC Milan as chief of staff um, on the sort of business side. He worked at Arsenal for a long time. He worked at AC Milan as chief of staff at AC Milan. He's been working for about a, a month, but the, the appointment was kept fairly low key. It's not a hugely interesting appointment for the public, but he's come in. Um I should have actually got hold of the surname, but a guy called Casper from AC Milan has also come in on the marketing side. He has started. I think there'll be more and more appointments around commercial marketing and in the sort of the, the background of the of the business, as we say. I think there'll be a lot of that going on in, in the next few weeks and months. Probably not much that is of interest or excitement to supporters, but a lot's going on in the business world of Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, I know I find it fascinating. It's always interesting. I'm assuming uh the the chief of staff guy he was with ivan gazidas with arsenal to ac Milan. yeah yes very very tight with with ivan gazidas yes yeah he will work under chris jurassic but again be be partly kind of responsible for basically the day-to-day business pretty much yeah you've been enjoying the new app this this season it finally works I, i do have the app and i do i do look at it i haven't tried this thing that you can watch back the game on yet and have yeah. you tried what, what's it called I, it's got a name that i can't remember what it's called yeah 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 yeah. you can um, watch the game and you can choose to watch it from all kinds of different angles and with different stats so I, I hear it's good but i haven't tried yeah it's um they're calling it their enhanced mvx player that's right that's right so that's we right. played around with it a little bit need to have a look. 
Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's it's something different. It's something new. Uh, there's a lot yeah. of AI and screen overlay stuff happening in the NFL this season. You have to keep an eye on that. I think some of the broadcast things that they're doing with, I think it's RFD or RFI tags on the players, on the ball, so you know exactly where every single person is. And overlay. it's going to be crazy. Football is a little bit better for that than American football, than, than obviously yeah. uh, the, yeah. the global football game. You can be around the ground as well. I mean, now you see when you, you walk into Chelsea, by where I go in, where the press go in, there's a what they're calling a blue carpet. I think people pay to stand on the blue carpet. There's really loud music going on. There's interviews going on. The players come through on the blue carpet. There's a lot going on. It's not my bag. I do it in a million years. Some kids love it, some people love it. But it's another thing. It's a different. It's different from what was before. There's now a seating area where fans pay to sit right by the the dugouts, so they can see what's going on in the dugout. Again, not really my bag, but I get it. I see it. Did you can see little changes here and there happening? Most of which which cost money. I should add. By the way, we haven't spoken about the bus subsidy, have we ever? I just want to say what a what a disappointment that was. I, I really, I, I've praised this ownership a lot in terms of off-pitch stuff. I've praised them for freezing the season ticket prices. Can't get my head around the bus subsidy. I know that they're one of the only clubs left in the, maybe the only left in the league that do it, but the timing of it, the way it was announced, the wording of the announcement, they just got it horribly wrong. And I, I feel it was a step backwards for them. And then the, the, just to give a little bit of context, especially since we have such an international audience, there's a cost to go on the club coach that will take you away around the different grounds and things like that. And there's a London and outside of London option, essentially, and the club has removed their subsidy for fans. That's right. So people, some most fans used to be able to pay sort of £10 to go on this bus and the, the, the club covered the rest of the cost. Now that cost is going to jump up to £30, £35. Plus ticket plus food and beverage yeah exactly and and the club have taken that away and what i don't like about this what 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 i do not like about this is the people who use that bus a lot of them fall into the vulnerable category whether it be through the fact that they travel to games alone so they don't want to be going on normal public transport because they're having to get to and from places late at night early in the morning on their own they want to be with a group of people whether it be people with some sort of uh, difficulty, whether it be a learning difficulty or a disability or something like that, whether it be elderly people as well who who like this service rather than again having to get themselves to train station, tube station, all kinds of things. A lot of people who use this coach travel fall way into what I would describe as a vulnerable category. That's why I really don't like the way it's been done. I would have understood a phasing out of it, maybe, because like I say, I think Chelsea are maybe the only club in the Premier League who could do it, which I think they've been praised for in the past. But to just literally whip out the carpet from under people's feet when the season has started, at the end of a transfer window, they've spent £115 million on a player. At the time when they've spent £1 million in transfer windows, all this doesn't join up, I know, but it leaves a nasty taste and... I just think it needs saying that it's a really, dis really disappointing thing and a step back. And I am surprised as well that I haven't heard of a U-turn yet, because when it was announced, I thought they're going to have to U-turn this. And it feels like they're trying to ride it out. Interesting time. There's not a lot going on in the international break. So uh, this is the time to uh, air those grievances. And obviously, the women's tickets have gone up, too. That's a catch-22 
the the hard part is they've got better and better players. They continue to sign top top players. Um, they need to make more money to help you know fund and support that team as well. So yeah, there's a couple different things that they're having to juggle. I don't envy them, but uh, with the new TV deal on the women's side, obviously that's going to be a big boost to at least give these owners uh, confidence that the league is going to be supported over multiple years and things like that. So yeah, these are real world issues for sure. Yes, look, I've, I've said before about this stuff. It's not easy. And I don't live in a bubble where, you know, no point pretending we're not part of consumerism and capitalism and that the club are going to look to make money. No point pretending, no point hammering them over that because all clubs do it. Um, but there are, there are some things, there are some things I can understand and some things that I can't understand. And the, the women's tickets, I actually do understand. And I'm sure a lot of people could have a big argument with me about that. The, the bus subsidy one, don't get it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I mean, jam packed. We covered a lot, which is good because it's international break and there's nothing but empty voids. So as Matt continues to publish stuff over the break, check it out, right? Telegraph link in the description. He's always putting out good stuff and it sounds like there might even be an upcoming Potter piece <laughs> based on our conversation. <laughs> Uh, we'll see let's see all right well hey as always follow matt give him a like we really appreciate all the insight you bring um glad that we're kind of back into the football and i forgot how much international breaks are frustrating at least we don't have a world cup in the middle of this season this year right silver linings yeah and i think this is the last year of the september international break they're changing it even better. so there's going to be a there's going to be a longer international break somewhere else so you you maybe take some pain somewhere else but because this one's so unpopular with fans and clubs and whatnot, I'm pretty sure in saying this is the last year of the September international break. Well, I mean, that would be nice for us fans. So anyways, appreciate you as always, Matt. More content coming this week and throughout the rest of the international break. Check us out on YouTube. Uh, join our Discord through Patreon. Uh, a lot of stuff coming at you. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.